one of the biggest advantages here, which is truly unique to Israel. I haven't seen that in Europe. Uh, on the flip side, I think in Europe, it's completely uh, the opposite. I'm not that familiar, I think, with... Uh, well, Silicon Valley is probably closer to the Israeli uh, way of doing things. But to be specific, uh, Israelis really try and help each other uh, to a great extent. And And you know what? When you're starting off as a startup... That's all you need. You need goodwill. And the amount of goodwill in this country is, is absolutely crazy. Welcome to our series entitled The I Am Podcast, a podcast about innovation, business, and most importantly, people. In this series, we'll be talking to founders, executives, and various experts about their vision, challenges, best practices, and lessons learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Hello and what's up everyone. Welcome to another episode of the I Am Podcast. Today, I'm very excited. I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be chatting with the CEO who just started this position two months ago. The CEO at Sloth.io, Danielle Haven. Hello, Danielle. Hi, hi, hi. Uh, great fun to be here. Thanks for the invitation. How is everything going? How is Sloth.io? How's your team? It's uh, it's going well. Uh, it's quite the experience. Uh, recently moved to Israel uh, with the whole family, uh, so getting acclimatized to uh, to the warmth, uh, which is definitely a plus. Uh, also doing a startup here, <laughs> and um, I indeed two months ago, I think uh, we put on LinkedIn that we started to work on Sloth, but officially we started to work in May of this year so uh, i think we're now heading our sixth month uh which is uh yeah quite the journey uh but it's uh it's fun oh. it's uh, it's always fun to do startups yes happy six months Thanks. yeah i know with startups you have to celebrate each moment yeah you, 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 you <laughs> have to find the positives otherwise you'll get beaten by the negatives so indeed yeah you have to stay optimistic <laughs> Okay, yes. Speaking of the positive, tell us a bit more about you. So I've I've seen in one of the posts on LinkedIn, you have a top-notch track record. So please tell us a bit more about you, your ventures, your expertise. Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm originally from uh, Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Um, 2014, I uh, launched uh, my first venture called Proctor Exam out of a self-estration. Um, essentially, I uh, was physically in Amsterdam but I was studying online remotely at an American university. Um, and after doing the first course for two months, I wanted to, to do the exam and actually get the, the degree, the paper, uh, to prove that I managed to successfully finish that course. Uh, but for the exam, I was requested to uh, fly uh, to the United States and actually um, sit uh, in a small classroom on the campus. Uh, and that got me to uh, research the market of online education. And I uh, started to understand that even though the message of online education was very much around uh, making education more accessible, uh, no matter where you're located physically, when it came down to the exam um, and actually the gratification and the recognition um, of uh, finishing a course, people still needed to travel. Um, so we launched uh, Proctor Exam, a platform where we authenticated people behind the computer and uh, we continuously checked whether the person is uh, doing the exams in the same uh, security standards as if the person would be on campus. Um, so not having another person in the room, not having an extra book to look into, uh, really get, giving that uh, integrity part back 
uh, even though the exam is happening remotely. Um, and uh, that was a great journey. Um, made all of the mistakes in the books. Uh, was a uh, first-time founder in Amsterdam, which, unlike Tel Aviv, definitely doesn't have the same startup ecosystem. Uh, here, it's incredibly mature. People know how to find each other. Uh, you've got uh, quite a lot of risk capital available. Um, Amsterdam, especially in 2014, there's none of that. Um, so bootstrapped without any funding um, and managed to really grow it um, over, the, over the course of a few years. Uh, we managed to get over 10 million ARR uh, in a very small sales team. I think uh, that sales team was uh, worth three people, including myself. Um, and I sold that a good um, year and a half, two years ago now, um, uh, to a large U.S. enterprise. Um, and uh, and again, very uh, grateful for that experience because uh, from start to finish, uh, really bootstrapped creatively. Uh, and it's the team, it's the people within the team that really pushed it forward all the way up to the exit. Okay, so you've mentioned that it it's not in any way same as Tel Aviv, like Israel, no. the European startup. So uh, could you tell us, like, when did it heat up, the European startups, or, like, how is it? Yeah, like so so I, I, I think within Europe, you have to, um, first of all, separate mainland Europe to the UK. I think London is definitely a, a different experience uh, from what, the statistics show it's, it's a lot more mature. Uh, but if you're looking at mainland Europe, you have a few capital cities. You've got Amsterdam, Berlin, Paris, Barcelona, maybe, that are considered to be um, startup hubs. Um, specific to Amsterdam, you know, for the past two, three years, uh, it's been doing pretty well. Uh, what has happened is because of uh, tax breaks, um, the Dutch government has managed to actually put in a lot of scale-ups, essentially, Big companies, um, you know, Series B, Series C, maybe already um, IPO'd, um, and they settled in Amsterdam uh, for tax purposes. And uh, this is something that, um, you know, I always question about with regards to the Israeli uh, landscape. Um, they also have regulation in Amsterdam that it's fairly easy to bring in employees from abroad and even more so to make it interesting for employees, high, they, officially it's called highly skilled migrants, uh, to move to Amsterdam and to work at these tech companies because they get also tax breaks. Um, it's called the 30% ruling. Uh, my wife, who's Israeli and who moved to Amsterdam uh, with me and stayed five years, she had essentially a 30% tax break, uh, which meant that you know even though the salaries in Amsterdam weren't as high as London, net she could actually uh, probably get more in her pocket. So it's a great incentive to have people from all over the world come to Amsterdam, incredibly skilled people uh, work at all of these tech, uh, tech companies that also move to Amsterdam because of tax breaks. So again, it's, it's a landscape uh, that is pretty mature for scale-ups and IPO companies. I wouldn't say so for uh, founding uh, startups, uh, similar to, uh, you know, the situation currently Sloth is in. Okay. So your your wife moved there and then you moved back to Israel. Is that yeah, exactly? Case? Uh, we all have to compromise. So she compromised uh, and now I'm compromising. And oh. uh, well, to be fair, compromising is a big word. I'm, I'm greatly enjoying myself. 
how many startups? I mean, just according to your knowledge, are there in Europe? Oof. I I I I wouldn't know, but but you know you have to think as Europe as a uh, continent with over three hundred million in terms of economy. People always forget, but uh, it's strongest economy in the world, uh, even bigger than the United States. The people why the the reason why many Israeli companies and uh, including myself with my experience is difficult to really penetrate the European market is because it's not homogenous, similar to the United States. So even though the United States um, is a smaller economic market compared uh, to the European one, it's one country. Uh, and if you launch in the United States, it's mm -hmm. fairly easy or easier um, to grow. Whereas Europe, it's going country by country. And as you know, you know you've got Belgium with seven, eight million people, uh, you've got the Netherlands with uh, 17, 18 million people. So for each country, you know, you'll have to find a new marketing strategy, probably have to translate everything because different language <laughs> barriers, uh, judicial. Uh, so it's, it's, it's rough. It's, it's very difficult to um, own the European market. Yeah. Talk about mm -hmm. the, what's that language barriers? I just spoke with someone like a startup in France uh, the other day. Yeah. So uh, question, another question is, uh, did you also have that uh, bloodbath when it comes to, because you said, you know, it's easier to get people in your team in the Netherlands way back. Correct. Yes. Um, bloodbath. What, what, what exactly do you refer to? Oh, like hiring. Oh, how difficult it was. So, so, and, and again, I'm, I'm fairly new in the Israeli ecosystem. I think in Israel, there are an incredible amount of talented people. Um, but again, if your pool of hiring is capped to the Israeli society, even though, again, the, the, the Israelis are incredibly talented, you're still going to be capped. Um, so, uh, that affects the salary. I mean, salaries are here way higher than anything you'll find in, uh, in Europe. Um, in Europe, you know, we, we, we could tap into essentially the global pool. Um, all we needed to prove is that these people are highly skilled. Uh, the way to prove that is essentially for the company to offer a salary that is above a certain threshold, which to be honest, in the tech scene, wasn't that high. Um, so, you know, at Proctor Exam, my first venture, we had uh, plenty of engineers from Turkey, from Egypt, um, because of the fact that it was very difficult for us to also hire Dutch engineers. I mean, there weren't many, uh, but why stop with Dutch engineers? We could bring them from all over the world. So it was, uh, it was a great experience, highly committed, because as you can imagine, when people move countries, that's quite the thing. Um, I wonder, by the way, whether that's something that can be measured. Uh, but in my experience, highly committed people moving themselves, very often their families to actually, uh, you know, work in a place. Okay. So speaking of like the wage, um, how about the culture? What are the other differences between uh, EU startups and Israeli startups? Yeah. Um, so... I think the Israeli startups um, are definitely more to be compared to the American startups than the European startups. Um, it's definitely the uh, the drive, the ambition, the passion. There's way more of that here um, than than what I see in in Europe. Um, what I do think is fair to say, uh, and, and to give credit a little bit to the European landscape, uh, 
for what I've seen, and again, from what I could compare it also uh, to the American startups, is that once you grow and once you mature as an organization, I find the quality of European startups to be um, very high um, compared to many similar American startups that I've seen with the same amount of revenue, but the organization itself is, is less mature. Think of governance, um, think of uh, you know internal security processes, um, think of company culture. I think, um, again, and th there are obvious reasons for that. The European market is very regulated, so therefore it's very difficult to actually grow. But once you grow, I think you are uh, great quality startups. Um, here, the strength of the Israeli landscape um, is that it's uh, fairly uh, unregulated. And again, it also has to do with the, with the people, the drive. I think everyone here wants to uh, be an entrepreneur. Um, everyone wants to be a serial entrepreneur as well. Um, so you learn, um, you stay at a job for two years, you take your learnings and you give it a shot yourself. Um, and uh, I think, you know, maybe one of the biggest advantages here, which is truly unique to Israel, I haven't seen that in Europe. Uh, on the flip side, I think in Europe, it's completely uh, the opposite. I'm not that familiar, I think, with... Uh, well, Silicon Valley is probably closer to the Israeli uh, way of doing things. But to be specific, uh, Israelis really try and help each other uh, to a great extent. And, and you know what? When you're starting off as a startup, that's all you need. You need goodwill. And the amount of goodwill in this country is, is absolutely crazy. I mean, I keep on giving, uh, I gave the example to my dad, who is Dutch. Um, and I told him, you know, I just started Sloth. Uh, I was trying to use my network in Europe, people that I've worked with uh, for years, that, that I've interacted with. Um, they didn't really give Sloth a break or me a break. They wanted for us to have the security compliances be before we could rent pilots, etc., and, and really uh, get the necessary traction in the beginning. Whereas here, through a network, essentially through a friend of a friend of a friend, we got to meet great people who were willing to try and, and you know, always open the doors and their mentality from day number one was, we're also here to learn. So there isn't this arrogance, even though Israelis do find themselves always smarter, they always want to learn as well. Uh, so it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic, but proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, the Israeli landscape, for startups is 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 amazing. I mean, the numbers are incredible. Uh, the amount of innovation that is coming from here is incredible. The amount of exits, etc. So uh, it shows that you know this landscape, this ecosystem, definitely is a better one than the European one. Yeah, like there's a good reason why they're called the startup Absolutely. nation. So. Yeah, the community is there. I can see on LinkedIn, example, one food tech company complements another food tech company and joins and promotes another food tech company. So I also uh, learned from one of the guests, like Tal Katran. So he's an accelerator builder, startup builder. He said, if you're in Israel, it's, it's like a sin or a failure if you don't start your own startup. So everyone... Um, like ventures into a startup or build something. How about you? Um, when did you realize, oh, aside from that pain point, so what are your characteristics that you think makes you a good or a successful one? Will make you a successful Me one? Me specifically or sloth? 
years Me specifically. specifically. I, I, I think, and again, hopefully um, something similar that, uh, you know, Israelis pride themselves in. I, I, I think not being scared of failure. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I moved to this country a year ago. I My first venture was in the education technology space. Um, so I've got my network there. Um, you know, people around me said, you know, you should try and use that network and re-enter this market uh, with something new. You've seen the problems, etc. But you know what? I uh, connected with my uh, uh, first CTO at my first venture uh, at Proctor Exam, uh, Israeli, Tal Auslander. Uh, he was uh, pitching me this idea because he was struggling as a uh, as an engineer. I started to research the market uh, specifically. This is the security market uh, on the infrastructure layer. I myself am definitely not experienced in that market. I don't have a network in that market. Uh, every person I spoke to in Israel uh, kept on telling me that this market is exclusive to a few people that have done startups over startups in this market. Uh, it's, you know, you have to be part of that clique. Uh, but you know what? What do I have to lose? Um, and I think, again, this is the Israeli mentality. And uh, with Sloth, we just started, but uh, we got accepted into Y Combinator. We're finishing our financing round now. Uh, we have pretty good traction. Um, so why beat myself up over lack of experience? Um, I think, you know, if you're sharp, if you're passionate, um, and again, if there's a certain amount of goodwill, uh, you can go to great heights. Yeah, well, they say you just need, what's that, technology, innovation, and people. And uh, sometimes investors just uh, invest not not really about the idea, but the, the people behind it. And okay, speak about sloth.io. So what do you do? How does yeah. it work? Um, so essentially, uh, we're an access uh, management platform for uh, the infrastructure. Uh, so we simplify you using AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure. Um, all of these big vendors are essentially um, the core of the infrastructure. And um, it's very difficult to understand how each works. Um, now, one of the things that we found is that because of that difficulty, people just um, leave default options. Uh, they don't really try to customize uh, their infrastructure to their needs. Uh, when it comes to access, if you leave certain routes open and you just you know skip over these steps, that creates a lot of security problems. So essentially what we do is that we simplify um, access management uh, for your cloud infrastructure. Uh, we provide you a platform where you don't have to be an expert in AWS. You don't have to be an expert in Azure or uh, Google Cloud. Uh, we use terminology that is easy to understand. We show you the low-hanging fruit in terms of problems that you can easily uh, remediate. Um, think of multi-factor authentication that isn't enabled. Uh, think of unrotated uh, access keys, people that essentially haven't changed their access keys for the past 90 days, people that have access to everything but don't use it, right? That's, that's also a bad practice. Why have a chain of an insane amount of keys when you only use one key? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a security risk. So, um, that's really our, our, uh, the problem that we solve is the complexity within the infrastructure to manage access. Um, and our vision 
is uh, essentially to allow for everyone to have good security hygiene with regards to access, who accesses what, uh, without them being an expert uh, in any of the cloud uh, infrastructure vendors and not having to you know, go on YouTube and do these uh, courses, et cetera, to understand what's going on. Okay, like how important or how costly is not quickly finding the security vulnerabilities or remediating them? So uh, we've found that, well, we, Gartner has found that 75% of all security breaches in 2023, uh, so that's uh, nearing in three months, will be because of uh, mis- uh, uh, or inadequate IEM, and IEM stands for Identity Access Management. Um, identity is very often treated by authentication, meaning understanding who is actually sitting in front of you uh, virtually very often. Uh, but then the other two letters of IEM, Access Management, uh, that's you know uh, understanding who has access to what authorization. And um, not managing that, uh, like I said, is, is a massive security problem. Uh, we keep on seeing uh, at the big security breaches that uh, you get control of one computer, an employee, uh, and from there on, you essentially uh, misuse all of the keys that the person has in order to expand and uh, create uh, big damage. Um, so um, our way forward is essentially to understand what keys are actually used in order to open these doors, uh, make sure that we have a very good understanding how these keys are being used, but all of the other keys that the person doesn't use, you know, let's remove them. There's no reason for a person to walk around with 10 keys in order to open 10 doors when they only open one door usually. What is the difference? I mean, or how are you better? Like, what's the killer feature? Do you want to talk about your technology? I, th I think what we've learned um, is that a lot of the um, products in our space are very geared um, towards uh, the security uh, organizations, uh, building a security product for security people. Um, and we found that there is, number one, a lot of friction uh, between security people and uh, the employees, uh, because the interests are not aligned. Security people care about security, right? But engineers care about uh, developing uh, code uh, and shipping code. Um, security is not part of the interest. So how do you enforce security when it's not something that you're being paid for? I mean, you know, for the sake of it, people can miss out on bonuses if, they, if the engineers start focusing on security and they don't deploy code. So why the hell would an engineer focus on that? And that's something I think that is our magic sauce. We are really trying to align with the engineers and focus on their KPIs, which is shipping code more quickly um, and um, providing products and features that are essentially used by them um, and still having the security people, the chief information security officer in the loop Essentially, we do believe that the budget will come from them. Uh, they have the biggest budgets. The engineers don't. Uh, but we very view that persona as a buying uh, persona and also as an, uh, as an auditing uh, uh, person. They can audit and see indeed what's going on. Uh, but it's in our interest to actually work very, very closely with the engineers and focus on their KPIs, which is shipping code. Whilst doing that, 
we're also trying to harden security. Okay, that's like your triple killer feature. Okay, do you have a user story, like um, how you impacted the infrastructure or how you made it easy for developers, like the first users? Yeah, um, so one of the things uh, uh, we've seen uh, were essentially DevOps people, but also IT managers uh, being scared to remove identities. Uh, essentially, they had very important employees that um, uh, that essentially resigned, uh, that left the organization. Uh, and what you usually do afterwards is that you start terminating all of their subscriptions, right? Uh, and you remove their identity on the infrastructure. That organization didn't do that for a good year because they were so incredibly scared. They didn't know what this identity in the cloud was actually doing, what the impact would be. Uh, they didn't have visibility. Um, so essentially with our tool, very quickly we showed you know, how this identity is connected. Like I used the example before, what keys does this person have? What uh, uh, keys are also being used by this person to actually understand the impact of terminating this identity? Um, and uh, essentially, we gave them the ability to uh, remove uh, these identities from their infrastructure, even though the employee has left a year ago. Now you have your first users. Where are you in your journey right now? And what is, what's the road ahead? Um, so uh, we're just finishing our uh, financing round. Uh, we started to work on Sloth uh, full-time in May. Um, in June, we were accepted into Y Combinator, which was uh, quite the journey. Uh, absolutely loved it. Can highly recommend it. Uh, y Combinator, to those that don't know, it's, uh, you know, the most... Uh, the most famous accelerator um, in the world, uh, based out of Silicon Valley. Big companies such as uh, Coinbase, Dropbox, Airbnb, they've all came out of um, out of Y Combinator. Um, and uh, they basically put us in a pressure cooker. I mean, we just started with Sloth, but the first thing they told us was, don't overthink it, just put out a prototype and start understanding traction, start understanding how people use it. And, uh, and again, I think, you know, similar to uh, my experience in just jumping into this opportunity of sloth, moving to Israel where I don't understand everyone, and also many Israelis that just are very entrepreneurial. We decided to put out a prototype. We understood um, that there is traction, there is a need, uh, that the market is uh, very early in terms of adapting similar products. Um, but we also... Uh, you know, we're slapped in our faces uh, when going so early with a prototype. Uh, we had plenty of discussions with important people that were annoyed with us because, uh, you know, we pitched them a certain amount of value. They aligned with that. They very much wanted that type of product, but the product in terms of maturity didn't provide that. Um, it did two things. Uh, we had a slap in our face, which made us work harder. And number two, we understood that there is a need. Um, so you always have to balance out, you know, these positives and negatives. And uh, again, remain an optimist. Yes, that's right. At least you know that there is a need, like um, validation. And Israelis are direct, right? So, I mean, how was it when it 
comes to culture, were you shocked, or was there a culture shock when you got there? And so, so I, I think um, you know, I, I come from the Netherlands. The Netherlands also pride themselves in being very direct. I don't know how many nationalities do the same, but uh, I think you know. Again, the good thing about Israelis is that uh, everyone feels like their family and a friend, and that definitely helps with regards to being even more direct. Um, you know, in, 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 in the lens, people are direct, but I, I wouldn't argue people believe that they're all family of one another. Uh, it's easier to be a little bit more confronting when you feel that the person is your brother or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, Israelis are, uh, are direct. Um, but again, I think they're direct constructive. Uh, they wouldn't just say this is bad. They would say this is bad for reason X, Y, and Z. Uh, and, and to be fair, I've met so many Israelis that wouldn't stop with being constructive, but it would actually introduce me to a person that re could really actually help me. Um, so again, uh, you know, all of these ingredients are here. Um, I wouldn't say that they're present in Europe. Um, and that's, you know, the way forward. I, uh, I, I'm really impressed with, uh, with the atmosphere here. How many people are now in your team? So we're currently four people. Um, so really just uh, uh, starting off. Um, and uh, I think the focus for now is very much to really, really quantify um, the um, the value uh, that we provide. So I discussed, uh, you know, our case with, uh, with engineers, making sure that we uh, help them ship code faster and harder security. So now we have to make sure that we can actually quantify that because just saying the words is not enough. Um, and uh, yeah, being in a, in a stage where we have to harden our, um, our uh, KPIs, uh, we have to um, harden also um, our go-to-market strategy, validating how we can further grow because you know initial traction is absolutely good. Um, doing market research is incredibly important, but then you have to start understanding, okay, how are you going to ramp up sales? Um, that's definitely something that I think I learned also from Proctor exam, um, ramping up sales to 10 million to 20 million to 30 million, uh, dollars. That's a different ball game. Uh, and that's when you have to start understanding, uh, also what your team looks like and how you can automate, uh, things. By the way, what is your biggest learning? I mean, coming out from the Y Combinator. Coming out from Y Combinator, um, I think the biggest learning is uh, no matter what, um, always interact uh, with the market. Uh, don't stay on your little island and, and be scared uh, from reaction. I think, you know, at, at Y Combinator, uh, similar to what you said also, they invest in people. Uh, in the case of Sloth, I mean, they decided to accept us and essentially invest $500,000 based on an idea that we had. They knew that, you know, we could still pivot left and right. Um, they invested in the people. Uh, the people are the ones that uh, won't give up, that will pivot, uh, that will uh, do the market research. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I strongly believe that they made the right decision in investing in us. All the best to you and your team. So if anyone wants to like talk with you or like 
the DevOps engineers who want to ship codes faster, hard in security. Well, speaking of that, I would love to connect you to our like DevOps engineer, like have a talk. Absolutely. Yeah, no, right? I, I actually got Absolutely. to learn about your podcast through indeed your organization. Uh, love your podcast. So that's a, a funny link. Uh, I was interested in the organization, ended up watching your podcast. Uh, so would highly appreciate uh, the introduction. Yeah. Yes, and to others who would love to connect with you, how can they easily connect um, with you? Definitely uh, LinkedIn, um, uh, through the website, I uh, get all of the emails. I mean, we're at a stage where, you know, all of the emails I get. Um, so sloth.io, LinkedIn, just Daniel Haven. Um, and uh, yeah, if if there, I, I don't believe there is any other uh, more difficult. It's pretty easy to just connect over that. Last question. If you can add up something to your name, like I am Danielle, your blank founder, what kind of founder are you? Um, I think I want to be known for uh, thorough, um, even though, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. I think everyone uh, in the current team, but also at Proctor Exam, uh, knows that I uh, always question and I, uh, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate very often. Um, so yeah, I definitely, uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm thorough. Uh, having gone through the first journey at Proctor Exam, I also know that the stars need to align in order to do an exit. Um, so, you know, I, I question many things. Okay, thank you. You're our first thorough <laughs> founder. I mean, you're the first one who used that on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much and all the best to Sloth.io. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. This podcast is powered by iomops.io. Optimize your cloud infrastructure and CICD process with iomops.io dedicated DevOps team. Check out www.iomops.io and get a DevOps team now. Make sure to check out www.iomops.io if you want to know more about us. Subscribe to our podcast so you can get notified every time we post a new video. Thank you and you have a great day.